I think we're good. All right. So, we uh, can preface it with uh, by saying that this is August 9th. It's the 10th. August 10th of 2014. 2014. Yep. And Mike Giant uh, and Katerina Caligieri, Court Johnson are in the room. Uh, others are present on this occasion, but we have. Um, various things to consider on this day, including the questions that follow, yep. uh, which you may sequence as you please. Cool. Um, I guess, you know, just as a general interview overview kind of a thing, I'd like to start early on. So can you just tell me a little bit about how you grew up um, and also if you were drawing or making art early on? I was born in 1947 uh, in Santa Barbara, California. Um, circumstances of my actual birth and the early years, I will spare you. Suffice it to say, there was leaded gasoline being burned. There were nuclear weapons being tested at open, open ground and DDT being used on everything in this culture. Mm -hmm. All the people around me were being poisoned, and I had no idea. Uh, I grew up and adapted to the conditions in the environment and learned from an early age to, to uh, withdraw from the world when I needed to and to engage that which amused me, which might have been mud pies or, or pebbles and twigs and stuff in the yard, or pencil and paper, which I took an early interest in as a, a pleasant, solitary form of meditation and exercise of curiosity. And um, uh, the culture around me was offering me many things in forms of publication that I might enjoy as, as forms of art. Music uh, was the earliest form of inspiration in mm -hmm. that music has the ability to, to inspire uh, the listener in a mystical way, magical way. And I've always listened to free radio mm. music for free all my life. Yeah. All kinds of music for free, mm -hmm. anytime, cool. all my life. And that's extraordinary to me uh, at this point, as I recall that music itself was keeping me alive in spite of the, the deprivation that I experienced as a child, one of eight, mm -hmm. learning not to eat mm. rather than to squabble around right. the table. Right, right. What, um, when you were doing art, what kinds of things was it? Was it drawings? Had you started doing this scratch board by then? The earliest was pencil on paper. Mm. And uh, by, by the time I was a teenager, I became interested in colors to a degree. And I began to stay up late at night drawing things. Mm. And I had my own room that I could stay up at night in and draw mm -hmm. things. And the, the music that was available with a portable radio <laughs> And the combination of music and drawing was just an incredible form of meditation that was available to me. Ah, right. That's a, that's how I practice every day too, with music and drawing, like and you know, yoga and meditation practice and cooking and that kind of stuff in between. I, I feel you there. I grew up at a time when the Cold War was building and nuclear weapons being tested on open ground, and yeah. we were all being dosed right. with radioactive fallout. Yeah. And I grew up thinking the world was about to end, and that art was a good way to uh, to in you know to be yeah. involved as the world ended. Right. And uh, and so at an early age, I was I learned that I always had the option to retreat into art from a crazy world. When did art uh, start to be something that made money for you? No, <laughs> long, long later. Yeah, how much By longer? By the time I was, say, 30, but my first successful successful stuff was pottery. 
Ah, okay. I lived in a pottery studio after I graduated from high school, and I learned pottery and glazes and stuff. And um, I got involved with lead and copper dust and, and all these poisonous things, which were, you know, somehow thrilling to my nervous system <laughs> and stimulating to the sense of mortality. You know, get it done, get it done. So uh, at, at a Renaissance fair at 19, I featured my, my pottery work, some of which was these horns that you could actually blow on oh, cool. with tubing. I learned how to throw tubing on the wheel, mm -hmm. and that was mm -hmm. the first successful economic venture um, mm -hmm. growing up. The second was a show in my early 20s was pen and ink work um, of a, an erotic nature, which was the assignment. A friend said, we are going to have a, I'm going to have a, a show called Summer Comes, you know, in mm -hmm. at the beginning of summer. And it will be all erotic drawings by my friends. And mm. I sold all my pieces in that show and lived for a year off of it. And then I got um, a scholarship to an art art institute and attended that for a year. And after that, I completed my confrontation with the, the, the draft. Ah, okay. And uh, was involved with oil painting and drawing at right. that time in my early 20s. So they were, were they trying to draft you? Yes. Yeah. For years they tried to draft yeah, me. Yeah, they drafted my old man. Totally. Eventually I, I played a part of a crazy person for a day and they excused me. Okay, good, so good. So convincing was my yeah. schizoid rendition. Sure, sure, no, uh, good. But then after not going to Vietnam, I decided to get into uh, this, this free living space where I could pretty much spend my days what I wanted, given that I wasn't eating that much. Mm -hmm. I spent my days drawing and painting and doing various works mm -hmm. for, uh, for others mm -hmm. <coughs> and exploring various media, mm -hmm. including uh, drugs and, sure. and uh, women. And, and what years was that? Beach every day. Yeah. In the early 70s. Okay. That's right around when I was born. Yeah, early mid seventies, yeah. I was wow. living near the beach in okay. a in a county road yard in a barn, with a huge flat floor for painting, drawing, oh, dancing, cool. whatever. Yeah. And I used the clay from the surrounding hills to make pottery with, which I still have. And casting, um, yeah. uh, uh, firing them in pit in open pit firings, and uh -huh. uh, it wasn't until I was thirty. That I got my first job, but okay. living in that barn in Summerland, I began to get into my into uh, uh, pen and ink work that was fine crosshatch stuff. Oh, okay. And very much inspired by Rembrandt and that kind oh, of chiaroscuro oh. yeah. um, richness um, mm -hmm. and dreaming of chiaroscuro of compositions. I was, mm -hmm. I was, and. Um, uh, it was sometime in my late 20s that I was approached for my first really serious long-term job with my brother-in-law, George Powell. Okay, that's the connection. George is your brother-in-law. Okay. And Escher had entered the stage through publication. I wasn't uh, seeing actual Escher pieces. I yeah. was seeing stuff in books. Yeah, he's a big influence on me. For sure. And so you had a, a period where you really were into Escher's work, and it really, I can see that for Heavy sure. Heavy metal magazine? Yeah, of Some course. really good Absolutely. pen and ink stuff. Oh, yeah. No, I always pick those up, for sure. Um, a guy named Fritz Eichenberg was a, hmm. was a early wood, it was a woodcut artist from the last uh, century. Right. Okay. And uh, Is this work, around the time the scratchboard came into the picture? Yes. yes. Okay. Okay, because I could see that connection for sure. Because did Asher do scratchboard? He did. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of different wood, mediums, but, but end he was. Green boxwood. Ah, the woodcuts. Wood That's right. Uh, they're wood engravings, really, because when you work on an end grain, you work with a burn. It's not mm, a chisel. Yeah. It's a wedge shaped device that's slanted back that mm. zips across the end grain precisely. Mm. You keep it sharp. 
Yeah. And you can get incredible detail hmm. with a gravure I see. On, I see. on end grain boxwood. Yeah. But they use gravures on metal too. Right. You can engrave different metals with a stainless. Um, okay, so let, let's talk about your early uh, involvement with George and Powell. Um, how, how did, I mean, you don't have to talk about this, but just as an artist, I'm always curious, what kind of financial deal had you worked out? Oh, you know, like $6 an hour or something back then, and, and uh, which, and to what build year the was, factory. What year was that? This was 78, late in 78. Yeah, see, because I started at Think Skateboards at $7 an hour in 93. So I'm uh, feeling like you were getting paid pretty good. Oh, it was the first right? job I'd really had for any length. That and, sounds pretty good. And it had nothing it's, to do with art. It had, yeah. to do with, uh, it had to do with multimedia building of a factory yeah. where I was working with wood, with steel, uh, okay, and you were right actually in there. building the mechanical yeah. factory. Oh, I didn't realize and, you were involved in building that. building each, adapting each station of the process to where it would be we could mass produce things ah. beginning with a panel saw and setting it up so the panel saw handled the material right i've taken the factory tour and it blew yeah. my mind the the precision the oh, technical incredible. detail the mold process was incredible yeah. to me so you were in on that right from the start kind of like how that got well, articulated the in the factory were laminated aircraft aluminum over oh, right. a, over a maple core Mm -hmm. epoxy laminated to a maple core and they're a tricky and sensitive surface a, a brushed uh, anodized rather aluminum yeah i remember and so i built each station and i saw that each station worked i mass produced i was the first to mass produce the decks huh. and taking these piles of material through each station towards right. the silk screening operation where uh -huh which was upstairs, and the baking of the ink, which is epoxy-based ink. Sure. On anodized aluminum, and it all had to be surgically carefully done so that you wouldn't get stains on the anodized aluminum. And at that point, were the graphics mostly logo-based? Were they, he, you George, know, yes, it, yes, had I they understand. started to get into the <coughs> full, you know, graphics that we know today? Or Well, of course, the first would be a racing stripe. You know, on a right. skateboard, that would be the first kind of graphic. But because of what I was in and because of the area available, um, at first I was only faithfully silk screening the graphics he had done by other people, which had nothing to do with pictures. The first graphics on a skateboard were not pictures, but the first that I did was the sword and skull for Ray Bones Rodriguez. Rodriguez. And that was the first one that you illustrated yourself? Or was yes. that? Yeah, yes. right? And, and how did that we happen? We had decided I mean, to call you... the wheels bones. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I began to see an, a series like... of images based on the beauty of the sculptural aspect of bones and the skull, which is the box in which lives the brain and the eyes and the human consciousness. Mm -hmm. And that's very intriguing to me to contemplate the sculpture that we are endowed with. Oh, sure. I think as a starting point for, you know, graphics, your introduction into skateboard graphics in particular, skull is like the perfect thing. I mean, it's like it resonates, I think, too, with the kids that might be consuming the thing, too. Um, a question I have is like, you were saying the when the boards were the metal laminate and they were mostly logo based and then they switched to what you were doing with the skulls was that because the boards themselves had changed too were you even aware of that at all we you know what i mean we couldn't silk screen on anodized aluminum and we begin to make wooden boards and then the graphics were were compelling because you can silk screen on a flat wooden skateboard and what are you going to put on that area that is freely available 
Right. The thing that struck me as a kid about skateboards in particular is that it was like this 10 by 30 inch graphic. <laughs> and there weren't other products around period that had such big, loud graphics and that were really a part of the selling point. They really like to stand and look at a wall of skateboards was incredibly inspiring because there was no other other than maybe like a heavy metal poster shop or something mm -hmm, where you're mm -hmm. or a head shop where you're inundated with visuals there was something really compelling about the the skateboard graphics and those things it really it caught me as a kid you know and made it's, me want to participate and understand it it's limited edition multicolored serigraph printing Who's going to waste their time doing that kind of stuff by hand? Mm -hmm. And yet, it, here we have a surface on which to do something. What will we put on it? Mm -hmm. What will hold people's attention and mm -hmm. compel them to mm -hmm. buy, the, buy the thing and, mm -hmm. and skate it? The other funny part to me is that it's inevitably going to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. Right? Only mm -hmm. a few collectors, like even now... Probably that first Ray Bones Rodriguez that you did would fetch a lot for an unridden board, you know, because they're long gone, you know. Most of them were actually used. The whole thing is handmade. Yeah, I've always appreciated charm. that too, for sure. I mean, now they're uh, printed with vinyl, and then they're sublimated to the decks, which is different than when they were actually screen printing on the decks. They're basically just screen printing on the vinyl, it's which was a, hand done. a big change, but it was still, it's yes. all hand done. Yeah. They, they tried it with paper, and they called it sublimation. I remember, because that was the area that I, that I was Sublimation better than something else. It's funny like that, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't really. Yeah, we did sublimated graphics in the 90s. And they were all kind of fuzzy. Yeah, the four-color process rice, printing rice hadn't paper. been that good. Yeah, there was imported paper, too. Mm -hmm. um, and then we did the slicks with the plastic cover over the top of them to kind mm -hmm. of give them a little more mm -hmm. lasting yeah, effect. And that didn't last very long as a trend, either. You know, they, the, that slick material was awful. And, and then the boards got warped and spooned. Yeah, right. And it, that's really hard for a, a silk screener. Sure. It's nerve-wracking to pull the squeegee and make a mistake and have to I had to design graphics based around the particulars of the silk screening process at the time mm -hmm. in the bend areas is mm -hmm. where I couldn't put detail mm -hmm. and you know and you also didn't really want to put a lot of detail under the truck area because that was going to get covered anyway mm -hmm. so there was mm -hmm. particular placement issues but mostly it was a, a mechanical thing because the boards were being screened by hand and it's, there's only certain things that you can get away with, you know. Even the way that I draw now is based on those parameters. There's certain yeah. line weights the that work. The, the weight of the line to be able to trap a color mm -hmm. that's underneath it. If you're yeah. doing seven colors, mm -hmm. there's a lot of wiggly that can happen. But then that last black color will trap it all nice and make it perfect. But it's got to be set up that way, you know. And I don't think even like now kids will do it digital, but they don't understand that that's why we draw that way is because it was a, a physical thing. There were physical limitations. Yes, warping a squeegee around a spoon-shaped object and, and, not, and, and not blowing it is it's really challenging for the, the carpal tunnel of the human hand to oh, pull sure. a squeegee that way all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. uh, so eventually they came up with this new transfer method, but the printing yeah. is all hand done. It's still on a, a mylar or a... Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. It's like the... That it's all still angled. hand printed. Yeah. It's just the method which... It's a bit uh, easier. The image is transferred onto a deck with heat and pressure. Right. It's still silkscreen, multicolored serograph, silkscreen printing. Mm -hmm. And that George is still doing this is, is really remarkable to me. I like that he's because doing it in-house, to too. It. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I like that everything's still done. The way, he has, the way he has evolved the technology to allow for these perfect prints. Yeah. Perfect hand-printed images. Yeah. It's really admirable to me. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that, too. For sure, because almost everything is done digitally done now. here in this and, country. Uh, and, and if we're making the artwork by hand, it's nice to see it transferred to the customer by hand, too. It, it's like a, 
uh, it just seems ethical and, and true, you know. And skateboarding is something you really, it's physical with. You, you're going to get on it. It could break you, you know. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's that's a powerful part of it, that integrity, you know. Um, so when was it that you started to work for Powell again? I think it was 78. Oh, okay, so that was quite a while. late in 78. Right. And that was just your, was that your main financial yes, uh, thing was, f- through that whole yes, period? Yes, So what happened in 91, February 22nd? We talked about that earlier, kind of a personal transformation. Um, so you was, were just kind of yes. working at Powell, um, and then there were things going on in your personal life, say, that led to uh, a, a transformative time? I had quit Powell once before that to to get seriously in trouble with drugs and alcohol, cocaine mm-hmm. and alcohol. And uh, eventually it had such an erosive effect on me um, that I was going to have a heart attack, liver cancer, stroke or something. He invited me back to the company and I, I went back very apologetically and, and uh, began to get therapy after uh-huh. 81 hypnotherapy and to recover some self-esteem and I struggled with backsliding into cocaine and stuff and uh, was dispersing my energy through various relationships with different women Mm -hmm. uh, throwing my energy around and amazing to me that I was able to focus for any degree of time Mm -hmm. such that a graphic was was would would do the job yeah i'm amazed that uh, that given the condition of my nervous system that i was creating the classics no i I mean we hear that all the time from musicians who feel like they're in a reckless point in their personal lives but creatively they're really putting out great work and the public is responding to it yeah right do you think it again? It's because you, you have to throw yourself into the art so much as an escape from other parts of life, much like we did. I mean, I did that as a kid too, where you know I would retreat to the art if it was a tough time. You know. Does really good art come out of neurosis? Do you have to be neurotic to create? I certainly don't stuff? think so. No. It's a popular it, theory. Do you have to make a deal with some invisible boogeyman? No. Sell your soul to some boogeyman to? I'm wondering because I'm feeling so much more of the heavenly, the true heavenly in my life, mm. whether I'm capable of that, that critical neurotic edge. Mm. Sure. No, I, I think of that sometimes because I've left the city and now I live in the woods and I wonder about that. But actually, I find myself vastly more inspired if I'm kind of left to my own and not distracted by the modern bullshit around me. You know, it, it comes through much more pure to me, you know, an essential... Um, so what happened, you know, in 91, in 91, I left because I was turning 40 and, uh, realizing that I didn't know what I was here for, what I was truly here for. And I felt that I'd been devoted to a tattoo art format when I was more interested, my soul was interested in fine art mm-hmm. and that people were asking me to do these things that were of more universal appeal mm-hmm. and uh, so I quit the company and did nine posters large posters to all on my own terms mm-hmm. skateboard mm-hmm. posters and in a year I had done these nine large compositions and sold them to George for a publication he mm-hmm. printed 5,000 of each and they got distributed mm-hmm. But I got my yayas in black and white by that time, mm-hmm. turning 40. Mm-hmm. Then I met Katerina Caligiri, mm-hmm. who compelled me to draw with my left hand for a while. Hmm. And it blew my mind and engaged another part of my mind to have a, an eight-year-old teacher come along like that. And I began to focus more on... The, the internal composition of my mind uh, as a result of, 
uh, forcing myself through this series of posters with the utmost discipline I was capable of, as though it were the last thing I was doing in this life. Um, hmm. And I really satisfied myself in black and white, and then I turned myself toward self-knowledge and the use of kinesiology towards, or muscle testing towards hmm. self-knowledge and the mapping of the inner world. Right. Okay. Cool. And that's kind of became well, your focus. A greater interest in of life psychology in than art. Yeah. Right. But, you know, and so that became the focus of life. And, and that's great. I can kind of feel that happening well, in my own life. But were, were you continuing to produce uh, illustrations? You know, what, what kind of... Uh, I continue to draw for yeah. different people for publication of various sorts. Mm -hmm. uh, but they were minor works compared to my posters. Yeah. Uh, and I began to develop the map of that I teach now as the Hundred Rooms, mm. uh, which is the property of my wife's now, the workshop and the handbook that instructs the individual soul through a process towards more instantaneous intelligence than the edited circuitous. It's uh, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful series of exercises that have been uh, developed to the degree that I use it all the time, and it helps me compose myself for sure. my return to art. Right, and where where did I mean uh, who were your teachers or your inspirations per se in that? field of your life I mean are these I learned muscle testing from a man mm -hmm. and uh, kinesiology and I learned how to read my own person with muscle testing through a chiropractor mm -hmm. friend I see the wife of the hypnotherapist taught hmm. me muscle testing myself oh, okay so in 91 I began to read myself with muscle testing and how does how does that work? Do you set yourself up like with electrodes to read the electricity coming off your muscles, or is it more just it's a binary, like black and white? Yeah, it has that appeal because okay. my commercial artwork is either black or white. There is no gray. Too. Yeah. No, I'm. <laughs> it's saying. either black or white. Very binary. Very elemental. No new tools on the picture. It's very old tools still in demand. I'm still being asked to do something that's very old. Me too. That there is no software for. That's right. That's right. And so I began to develop a binary system through muscle testing, which is weak or strong. The muscle mm. test weak or strong according to the question. Mm -hmm. I'm reading myself at the moment, and it tells me that my kidneys are overcharged and that I should run my liver, lung, and large intestine to balance myself. Hmm. that the origin of my imbalance is being with you, which mm -hmm. brings me grief, <laughs> fear of failure, mm -hmm. fear of joy and joy. Mm -hmm. And because I'm speaking to you, a soul that I've known a number of times before, I am in a state of shock, and I need muscle testing just to stay on this tightrope with you. I see. So so the muscle testing for you is a, is a form of... Uh, like you're able to read the subtleties of your body and what's happening. I can you know? see when I'm so, out of balance. Yeah. If yeah. I use it. The information is, you've developed a way to make that information clear to your, let's yes. say your conscious consciousness, conscious mind. Yes, conscious. Yeah. Because I'm developing the same thing as my yoga practice develops. Like I was, uh, we were talking about earlier, where I had no sense for muscle or nerves mm -hmm. in certain places in my body mm -hmm. but over time now i have developed quite a sensitive mm -hmm. response to those places and i can yes. manipulate those muscles and that yes. viscera um, but i can see that it's a, it would be a long process to really really develop those subtler and subtler signals and to hear them clearly you know well, muscle testing tells me to clear my heart center of mm. the grief and fear mm -hmm. of failure with you mm of joy and joy and right. now I feel more balanced having done so yeah right and uh, I am consulted if I balance myself and clear myself first then when I encounter someone who needs my counsel and a reading sure. that I can use muscle testing to read them based on myself being balanced in the first that's place. right 
that's a that's another basic tenant that Thich Nhat Hanh points out is that we we need to find the peace within our own heart before we can offer peace to another. Yes, you know, it's like in an argument if you're not at uh, and kind of in a a non-judgmental place and mm-hmm. and uh, not caught up in your own perspective, you know, you can really hear the other person speak and then have a real communication. There can be deep. Uh, conversation there you know but if you're listening to the person and thinking about what you're going to say next as soon as they finish talking you're, you're going to go nowhere because you know? you're still caught within your own ego it's your the own reactive stuff. mind right 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 I, there's something I, that's on a i saved from a tea bag it said uh act don't react you yes. know so yes. simple right yes. clear but I, I i i totally agree with that yeah I'm intrigued with a, a little piece of dogma that sounds like only self-knowledge brings self-fulfillment. Mm. Of course, it sounds like dogma, yeah. but uh, I know that That's I am true. here not for all the wonders of the world, but for the individual soul. Right, right. This, this soul that is speaking to you right. is here with the primary interest being the yeah. individual soul. Right. The secondary interest being games worth playing. Right, and we spoke earlier about the various strata of games uh, worth playing, right, and right. art is a very wide field of endeavor that, as often as not, really brings the soul into the picture. Mm-hmm. Let me kind of uh, p- pull this in and wrap this part up for the magazine. Mm-hmm. Kind of, what I'm curious about now is. So there was this period from 91, and now it's 2014, so that's 23 years later. Um, now you've just recently reconnected with Powell again, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, how, how's that? I mean, that's, that, seems like, uh, that seems like an interesting full circle thing, you know, that it's, it's come back around, because um, it does seem like you're, you're having a good time with it. My brother-in-law... Who what he was my brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Now he's the man George Powell. Yeah, has changed so much in the time that has passed in twenty mm-hmm. years uh, that he has come back to me uh, hand in hand with the the person of Katerina Caligiri, who has as a mystic presence in my life compelled me to come back and draw again, because drawing is a game worth playing. And she has magically appeared after 15 years of not seeing her to to encourage me in her yeah. way. Right. Not to neglect the gift of black and white. Sure, sure. Which I thought would be replaced by software. I mean, me too. Me we too. still need artists. We still need those stinking artists. <laughs> we do. I think and so. I yeah. warned them when they asked me back to the company. I warned them, I'm, I'm a hippie pothead. You don't need me around. I won't pass the test. He said, well, that's fine. But uh, um, stay at home and draw and we'll see. I don't know, I said to him, if I can come up with anything pimp or dope or sick ass. But still... <laughs> I imagine I can pull off groovy or rad. Oh, Maybe groovy! Maybe I can still pull oh, off rad. Groovy and rad is still so good, <laughs> so good. No, it's it's great, you know, because like, I've I've like we've talked about it, I've I've grown up through skateboarding, and yours always struck me as the the best ones. I mean, I think you know through my work that I also work in black and white primarily. So there was that initial, and Escher too. From like when I was a kid, so I was automatically really gravitated towards your work, and I think that you maybe unwittingly set a precedent, you know, that was I think really hard to live up to because I did skateboard graphics professionally from 1993 to 97, you know, and I always thought about how well done your stuff was, and I always tried to at least rise up to that you know and it it did set a pretty high standard i will say i mean your my deck is your favorite you're 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 you know like you really uh uh yeah i just think it translated so well to you know how to read 
you know the hieroglyphics of black and white the binary sure. of black and white sure and to many people my work is simply ugly i understand that but to sure. another artist it is beautiful and beauty is in the eyes of the beholder but right. while it an image may look like it took ages to do to the artist who to the soul who lives in eternity time is irrelevant that's that's true there is like that timelessness of when you're producing work you know how or, much time did it take or who just the fuck cares? six hours there later you look at the clock and you're like holy shit it's <laughs> yes, two in the morning yes. and i've just been sitting here drawing yes it's it, another it could have been 15 of, minutes it's another state of mind that is much more related relative to the experience of soul rather than mortality right I've had meditation teachers tell me that I should be very thankful that I have that art practice because I do spend five or six hours a day in silence working on my art in mindfulness. And even those teachers who are my peers don't have that much time in the day to spend in silent contemplation because they have a life and they're teaching and all that kind of thing, you know. And so they really like take stock in the amount of time that you've really put into this and that you've translated it into your art practice. So it's a continuation of it. And that's the whole point, you know. It's cool. I feel like you've definitely done the same thing. Well, your, your words bring me grief about hmm. all those in our world who don't find a game worth playing that they have to play. Yeah. They have to. Yeah, if we had to get a day job, we would get it and we would still draw. Yes. <laughs> that's what people are envious of, for sure. Yeah, Everyone and I think that's an, gifted. that's an enlightened state. I believe that all souls are gifted. Absolutely. But I believe that, um, that, that, that the truly gifted life is a, a rare one, that for the most part, humans live a series of lives, most of which is uh, kind of desperation and coping, just coping with mortality. Sure, or just modern life. And the nine one to five. in a hundred lives is is what I'm experiencing in this life. I feel the same. I've done a lot of past life recall, and in this life, I've been allowed to to live in a culture of abundance with plenty of conveniences and. Um, allowances, freedom of speech, and uh, freedom of speech, uh, the age of film, movies, music. It's a very abundant time that allows yeah. me to expand, uh, expand a lot in this life. Uh, mm -hmm. In my next life, I might be a coal miner or something and have a bunch of kids and, and just get through, you see, just mm -hmm. get through uh, some process. Right. Of a much more mortal sort. Well, so, you know, what do you see in the future now? Is it kind of just, uh, you know, you're not really concerned about it at all or have no idea? Or is there, you know, something that you still have to do or, you know, a mission? <laughs> I see myself continuing to embrace the role of servant. That's great. And embracing my limitations, embracing humanity, and dedicated to to higher principles than I used to be. Sex, sure. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll are fine. You learn a lot from the game. Oh, yeah, from right? Embracing Me those too. values. Oh, you yeah. will learn a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I have a new set of principles, and the result of the practice of truth, love, and counsel will be something that, that I, I, I can imagine as being of, of much more grace in daily affairs. Me as well. If I really practice yes. truth, which is the greatest good, and love, which is the highest truth, yes. and I'm open to the counsel of gravity and heat and cold and hunger, that my counselors will, will tell me what I need to know as I wash the floors, do the dishes, and attend to the important small things, like mm -hmm. feeding myself is something I'm just learning to do in my 60s. Yeah. It's How to a, it, really respect the creature self, which I've always denied. Right. 
It feels like to me you're uh, living a bit more ego or quite a bit more of an egoless state where you're allowing life to show you what has to happen or how to, things go. And uh, there's there's such a grace. Being open in to that. counsel. Yeah, right, right. Staying open, right? That's cool. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I would need to... Have you traveled much? I mean, Monster Children is from Australia. Have you ever been to Australia? I haven't been to the Southern Hemisphere, but in 1960, my father met his twin soul cruise ship at the train station here who was pissed off because they wouldn't let him into Disneyland. But when he got to Santa Barbara and looked out the window of the train, saw my father, got off the train, came straight over to my father where I was standing, Mm -hmm. and introduced himself as Khrushchev, Nikita Khrushchev, and and told my father he had a beautiful face. He loved my father's eyes. Come visit (laughs) me in Moscow. Wow. When twin souls meet, um, the earth moves. My father, a year later, took all eight children, put them in a bus, which we agreed to do, and went around the world and to Moscow, where we were on the day that the Kursk submarine was being disputed in the Arctic. My father was in the ambas- uh, Ambassador Llewellyn's garden talking to his mm-hmm. twin soul, Khrushchev, yeah. making some deal of a non-historical sort, yeah. after which both of them changed. Huh. Fantastic. We returned. We went across Siberia on a train. Yeah. Put the bus on another train. Got to Japan. Drove around Japan. And what year was this? 61. Wow. Adventure. And then Real adventure. In November of 61, returned to the States. Uh, and I would rather have stayed in Japan because they're all cute. The I Japan love Japan. They're all so cute. Oh, yeah, the Japanese Returning girls Returning really to cute. <laughs> this culture was a very depressing matter because sure. we had to deal with a lot of cynicism as yeah. people were uh, building bomb shelters and, yeah. and entrenching themselves in alcohol and drugs and cynicism. Yeah. And so I, yeah, after the return from the trip, I really went into a kind of autistic condition and, mm-hmm. and didn't want to be bothered by people and... My nervous system was rattled by DDT, leaded gasoline, yeah, right. exposure to all these That's chemicals. Right. That's right. And uh, art was a, a good place to hide out in my delirium tremens relative to pollution. You've, you've brought this up a few times, those kind of poisons that you feel like affected your youth. I think that's a huge issue right now. It is. That kids are seeing that, like, my generation and my parents' generation have really felt the brunt of the processed food industry and the medical industry, and they're really waking up from that, you know? And I, I'm really thankful that they're, uh, they're waking up from that because I do feel like there's things that the powers that be just allow out into the environment and just uh, if it doesn't hurt enough people, it's okay, you know, but the long-term effects of those things aren't really known until it's too late, you know? Uh, this, this kind of thing happens on any planet like planet Earth and there are many others in the universe mm-hmm. who have to deal with various phases of evolution and human or the equivalent of human inventiveness and manipulation of the environment the result of which is um, is uh, kind of in, of an entropic nature. It causes decay in the human body, and it causes irritation to the nervous system. And we all have a nervous system. Yeah. And yeah. we have to live with the nervous system, not knowing what is impacting on the nervous system. We've all been subject to it and continue to be subject to pollutants, even as we choose to drink ourselves to death or, you know, smoke bad crack yeah. <laughs> no. you should smoke the good stuff yeah. no no i understand those are just how uh, humans it's... in ethiopia will find old tins of of glue and sniff you know these orphans on the streets yeah, in distant countries will find a way to 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 dose themselves into numbness i've seen even uh, examples of horses doing that in gasoline mm-hmm. tanks they huff them till they horses will huff they'll huff yes. until they pass out and then they'll do it again <laughs> yeah yeah chimpanzees no. given cocaine over food will prefer cocaine over oh food sure why not that seems like a more thing. efficient energy boost <laughs> yes. 
the result of uh, humans knowing all these things is that we are angry with the creator. And most often, when I encounter another human being and read them, I see a bottom line of anger with the, the, the creator. Yeah. Anger with humanity going on deep in the psyche. And it's, it's a very sad matter to me, but I do meet human beings who have grown up with self-esteem yeah. and I hold them in awe. Right. And I praise the me parents too. of those who raise their child to have self-esteem mm -hmm. and to accept the conditions uh, of the, dhar the dharmic, the dharma is the playing field. The karma is the choices you make on the playing field. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, one one uh, child grows up amidst terrible circumstances and becomes right. excellent. Another grows up on a self pillow and becomes a monster. Mm -hmm. I have one kind of question that should have been fairly obvious. Mm -hmm. um, have Have you been involved like riding skateboards and surfing any of that kind of culture so much yourself? Oh, I I have. I got into surfing and skating and motorcycles and bicycles and really got myself beat up and very close to death many times and that was fine because the world was going to end and why not anyway. Yeah. Uh, but since therapy and a lot of self-purification, I've come to realize the preciousness of the primary gift, which is the physical body. Me too. Yeah. And yeah. Reverence right. for the horse that we ride through a lifetime. Yeah, and yeah. The, the importance that you're ex exampling of of uh, dehypnotizing oneself uh, from uh, thinking of oneself, identifying oneself uh, with the the mortal coil, mm -hmm. uh, and embracing the truth of the eternal self, the soul. Sure, and I feel like you know if you want to have a long. A productive spiritual journey or to understand life in all its phases it needs to be a good long healthy life you know what I mean and that's you know something that I feel now I'm not so reckless because I want to be able to do good in the world and I can't do any good if I'm dead or if I'm like bedridden you know what I mean so I want to stay vital as much as I can you know but not but also recognizing that the modern uh, ways they offer to stay vital aren't really that good. And I have to look at more ancient techniques yes. for staying vital because they've proven themselves over thousands of years in their yes. oral traditions for a reason, because they work. There have always been seers. Yes, yes, yeah. seems like every generation has a few enlightened souls that can access the public at large with the, the, the ancient teachings, you know? that really get it and can articulate it here and there. And it's funny where those people can come from, from really unlikely sources to, you know, not always like uh, spiritual gurus and such. Well, again, the most important thing to know is who you are and you don't learn it in school. The second most important thing is what you are doing here. <laughs> and the third is where you belong. Right. Right. And we don't learn those in school. No matter how long you stay in school, you might not find that out. Mm -hmm. uh, there will be a time in the future where, where seers are more common and people grow up knowing that they're an infant, baby, young, mature, old soul with a certain set of characteristics chosen before the incarnation yeah. and grow up conscious of, of, of uh, the characteristics of soul. But in the meantime, we struggle with not knowing who we are and we engage any number of uh, compensations towards a sense of well-being and we secretly enjoy the mystery and the struggle mm -hmm. and, uh, and we learn from being uh, immersed in the hypnosis and the terrible struggle of, of that and all the identification that we suffer. Um, yeah. uh, we love our symptoms, we love our problems, we're secretly angry with God, and that's what's going on. Yeah. Um, but there are many old souls among us who have a stabilizing effect, and a good 10% of humanity are perfectly good people who grew up with self-esteem and are doing the work necessary to bring the world away from a cold war and an arms race towards right. a new age Dirt uh, of introspection, 
Yeah. With the invention of film comes a whole new age of introspection on planet Earth where you can be shown how to think about the consequences of your choices by seeing the same choices being made up by people in movies. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, just maybe this is the last question, just about, let's say, a personal legacy. I mean, I would imagine that your when people look back on your life, I, I imagine it would be that servant part of your life that you would like to be remembered for more so than, say, what you did as an artist. Is that Would that be pretty uh, truthful, you know? Is, is the art kind of more like a hook or like a, a way to get people to have some interest in what you're doing and what, you, what your ideas are and what you're really about? You know, or is the art itself enough? The only way I can communicate with my kin, my true kin, is through, by making images and serving those who publish. Because I've only known the great artists through publishing. And to be a servant to the, the keepers, and the teachers to be a servant to those who, uh, who example and further the masterful expressions around is like being a yeast particle in the batch as it's rising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Is there anything I, else that you I, could I, I owe so add? much to to other artists and publishers. I can't name all the artists and the people who have and continue to be tributaries of this river that I feel myself to be. Yes. I wish to be a tributary in your life. Mm, you are. <laughs> you are. As you approach some <laughs> hypothetical ocean of bliss. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> Glad to think I've, I visit that ocean on occasion. <laughs> it's nice, you know, but then there's, you know, breakfast to be made. And yeah, that's, I've, that's cool. I've had my yayas, and now um, I, I remind, I'm, I, I remember Bob Dylan's song, You've Got to Serve Somebody. And I've come to that point in my life where I say, yeah. I've already eaten this planet. Now I, I must serve this planet. I feel like... And it's regeneration. Almost every spiritual teacher that I've ever been around that I feel like is legitimate, if you ask them what is the way, what's the, the easiest way to understand enlightenment, it's through service. Straight up. The art game is so multifaceted that anyone who experiences ecstatic creativity is is uh, doing um, and exampling in, in a special way as Nero example by playing his fiddle as Rome burned what are you gonna do I play my fiddle yeah Li- you know? so so yeah we're kind of talking about you like live live music. live even as an example is, even if you think the world is ending do something that makes people glad ah uh, yeah of human consciousness. Right, right. And the arts, music, art, paintings, mm-hmm. dance. Sure. These are all beautiful meditative themes. Yeah, I agree. I Just agree. bring one towards self, self-knowledge. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Let me, uh, I'll stop it there. That was great.